millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I extend my deepest sympathies to all those mourning the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, particularly Princess Anne, whose haunted face I saw in the back of the limousine in Scotland today with the coffin leaving for a long way to London. Uh, she will lie in state, Her Majesty, in Edinburgh. The people of Scotland in their tens of thousands have turned out to wave their goodbyes to the departed monarch in a way that probably means the end of the separatist menace, at least for now, in Scotland in the Union affairs. Princess Anne would be my pick if I were to choose the Queen's successor. If there was a vote on who should be the monarch, Princess Anne would win it in my book every day of the week. But I extend my sympathies to the undoubted millions of British people who are sad and who are mourning, grieving, the passing of someone of enormous significance in the life of almost everybody in this country. All of my entire life, and I'm not young, she has been the queen, the backdrop, the green screen, in front of which everything else happened. Governments came and went. Prime ministers rose and fall. Wars were fought. Ironically, in her name, though she had no say whatsoever, on whether those wars should be fought and when, if ever, they should be ended. As the Netflix series The Crown shows, it is the history of almost all of our lives, and so significant, therefore, it is. And for most of us, we've never been present at a changing of the guard like this. We've never seen one monarch die and another emerge instantaneously by divine right as the new monarch, in this case the new king, Charles III. I must say, I thought he would have gone for George VII as he was entitled to do, because I, if not he, am mindful of what happened to King Charles I. I have never at any time, any time, disrespected the person of the late Queen Elizabeth. I met her twice. I served her twice. First as a wine waiter in the Angus Hotel in Dundee in the 1970s when I literally served her. I told her later on the second occasion that I met her in Buckingham Palace. Your Majesty, you posed me one of the greatest dilemmas of my then young life. 
How so? She asked. Well, when I asked you if you wanted red or white, you answered, yes, please, causing great consternation, even panic in my breast. So I poured white, which she later agreed was the correct thing to do in the circumstances. I served her in Parliament. For almost 30 years, I was a member of what is known as Her Majesty's loyal opposition, though it has never been as loyal an opposition as it is today. Sir Keir Starm, a former Trotskyite, a former Republican campaigner for the overthrow of the monarchy, has turned out to be more royal than the king, more Catholic than the Pope, not that you can be a Catholic around their circles. Reminding everyone yesterday at the Ascension ceremony, the anti-Catholic bigotry that is baked in to the British Constitution. All these members of the Privy Council, including Nicola Sturgeon and to my astonishment, Alex Salmond, turned up for the Privy Council to acclaim the King and the Union and to sign a document, an oath, that they would fight to preserve the supremacy of the Protestant faith in Britain. I don't know how that will go down. At Celtic Park, amongst the new Scottish nationalists, hundreds of thousands of them, Roman Catholics to a man and woman who follow Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon wherever they want them to go. We've never seen this before. So it is of importance. And it was right that it was marked by the state with flags at half-mast, with the closure of schools and everything else on the day of the funeral. But certain anomalies quickly emerged. All of the football program on which millions of us, including me, depend as we depend upon our food and water was cancelled by fiat, by the football authorities, at least to please the state, if not at the direction of the state. But rugby went ahead. Cricket went ahead. Horse racing went ahead. Now what might be, you may be asking, the difference between these sports? The answer is obvious. Football is the mass working class sport where every Saturday, on Sunday sometimes, on Fridays and Mondays sometimes, on Wednesdays sometimes, on Thursdays sometimes, millions of British people, millions of them, gather in a crowd, crowd being the operative word, where they are free to shout, to sing, to boo to their heart's content. And the British ruling class did not trust the British working class en masse in football stadia not to rain on their parade. Not that there would have been many 
in my opinion, amongst those crowds who would have disrespected the Queen. But the establishment in Britain is nervous. These are febrile times. We have a feeble prime minister, an even more feeble leader of the opposition, a new king in an economic crisis when the country is at war, economic war for now, but perhaps on the verge of a real shooting war. The loyalty of all of the British people cannot be taken for granted on all of those fronts. I'm sorry that the Queen has gone for many reasons, but the preeminent of them is that we now have King Charles as the unelected head of state in Britain. We have an unelected House of Lords, an unelected Prime Minister in the House of Commons, and now we have a unelected head of state in the form of King Charles. And I've got some news for some of you that you're not going to like. You're not going to like this, King Charles. The Brexiteers amongst you are not going to like this, King Charles. The Libertarians amongst you are not going to like this, King Charles with his buddy, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. You're not going to like this King Charles with all his quackery and greenery, his devotion to zero-sum climate change, economics. You're not going to like this King Charles with his attitude to women most visibly, vividly remembered in the tragic circumstances of the late Princess Diana. You're not going to like this queen consort because every time you look at her, you're going to remember how Diana was driven to an early grave by the disgraceful behavior of this now King Charles and this now queen consort. You're not going to like this King Charles's political activism. Don't imagine he'll be the restrained, behind-the-scenes, quiet word-in-the-ear monarch that Queen Elizabeth was. He'll be out there publicly campaigning for the things that he supports, which happen to be things which most of us don't support. And it has begun already. He's making a tour of the realm. Good luck to him. He's finally got a job at 73. Who's he taking with him? The Prime Minister and leader of the Conservative Party, Liz Truss. So much for political neutrality. The Prime Minister is going to wrap herself in right royal robes, at the end of which, mark my words, She'll call a general election by Christmas. And she will bathe in such light as there currently is around the new King Charles. But it won't last. That light will die. That light will die because the 
essential character of King Charles will quite quickly become visible to everyone. When he tells you that you will own nothing, though he will own plenty, he's now the richest man in the world. Every penny of the wealth of Her Majesty the Queen, the richest woman in the world, has passed to him without a penny of taxation involved. You'll be poor, but you will be happy. You will own nothing, though he will own everything. But you will be happy. And you'll be forced by digital rationing to restrict your driving, to restrict the temperature of your homes, perhaps even how often you may turn on the light. He'll tell you that you have to pay the price of hunger, of cold, of economic collapse, as I said earlier, so that we can be sure that Isium and Balaklaya remain in a country called Ukraine rather than in a country called Russia. Let me turn to that. Because, as I said, the lights have gone out. After six months in which only 125,000 of the Russian armed forces have been fighting a war with one hand tied behind their back in Ukraine, with velvet gloves on, 125,000 out of an active duty military of 1.25 million, one-tenth of the armed forces of Russia have been deployed in Ukraine after six months of that, following breakthroughs by the NATO armies of the Ukrainian armed forces and their mercenaries, deploying their weaponry and training from NATO for these last six months, Russia has decided to get tough and has this evening knocked out every power plant in Ukraine. Henceforth, whatever is done in Ukraine will be done by darkness and by cold. Reinforcements are being rushed to the front. Russia will, I'm sure, begin a call-up to ensure that the reserve is not left denuded by the transfer of forces. This war in Ukraine just got a whole lot uglier. This war that never needed to be fought, which could have been avoided if France and Germany as the guarantors of the Minsk II agreements had lived up to their signatures and implemented that agreement which they guaranteed. This war is about to get very much bloodier, and not just on the battlefield, though on the battlefield where everyone is fighting to the last drop of Ukrainian blood, it will be the ugliest of all across Europe. In North America too, the economic carnage which is coming our way down the pipeline, if you'll forgive the pun, will be 
absolutely devastating to the economies and thus the societies of your country and mine. Don't think this war can be restricted to dead Ukrainians in Izium or Balaklaya. It cannot. It's going to shut your factory. It's going to freeze your home. It's going to leave your children hungry. It's going to leave you unemployed. It's going to leave you penniless. And you need to ask yourselves, if the political class that rule you and me are up to the challenge that I have just described, with a new prime minister and with a new king, Britain surely isn't. This is an existential moment for Britain. It is perfectly possible that the old order will not survive the coming weeks, months and years. The old world cannot continue. The new world is not yet ready to be born. These are troubled and troubling times. The more so as Queen Elizabeth II is no longer there behind us. The problem with the media coverage of these uh, momentous royal events is that they are literally unrelenting from morning until night and on all conceivable platforms. Only talk sport is a haven for those of us who don't want to hear for the thousandth time anecdotes about the royal family and even they have regrettable lapses every now and then. The problem is you cannot sustain for 10 days this incessant, relentless royal coverage without repetition, repetition and repetition and a descent into banality which is actually disrespectful to the personality of the late Queen that has caused this hiatus in the broadcasting schedules in the first place. Nonetheless, there are people who are enjoying it, quite evidently. Our poll, which you can vote on now, on my Twitter handle, on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway, and on YouTube. And I think it's already been out on the community uh, part of, uh, of YouTube and has done remarkable numbers, uh, has the coverage of the royals been A, over the top, B, just right? And 67% of you agree with me that it has been over the top. I'd like to know who the 23% are that think it's been just right. Because why are you watching me then? Why are you not tuned in to the mainstream broadcasters for some more of it if you think it has been just right? Uh, on, uh, that was on Twitter, those numbers, 67 and 23. On uh, YouTube, it's yes, it's over the top, 77%. No, it isn't. It's just right, 23%. And on Telegram, it's yes, over the top, 80%, no, 
20%. Uh, but we have another guest from the United States who is about to join us. It is the one and only Garland Nixon, my favorite American commentator, because I wanted to ask Garland, what's the reaction to the two big stories of the war and the royal demise? And he joins me now kindly. Thank you, Garland, for that. Let's start with the royal demise. I saw the flags at half-mast in Pennsylvania Avenue. I saw both Biden and Trump uh, give uh, effusive uh, tribute uh, to Queen Elizabeth II. What is, how does it play in Peoria, though? What's the man and woman in the street in America thinking about this? Well, I think there's a mixture going on here now because, of course, there are the traditionalists who are certainly respecting the queen and, and you know, her reign and her passing. However, uh, particularly now with what's going on in um, Ukraine, there's also a discussion about empire, a discussion about the reality and br brutality of empire. Um, I, so, I also think there's a discussion about who should be held responsible because, you know, if you look at the the Twitter sphere, I'll just put it like this, people of color or people whose backgrounds come from some of the um, the countries that, that were, you know, brutally oppressed by various colonialist empires throughout Europe and the U.S., uh, the conversation is totally differently. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the anger is directed towards the queen when, it, to, in, in my opinion, the queen is representative, metaphorically representative of the empire. Um, she didn't just make the decisions on her own. Uh, but I do I do see a very what I think uh, productive conversation going on, not so much in the mainstream media, but with the, the man and woman on the street, um, a conversation about empire. And uh, and now I had one more other thing, the contradiction between well, how uh, uh, oh, you go know, Garland, go sure. the, the, there's there's a profound misunderstanding about the power which uh, the monarch now has in Britain and has had for a very long time. The empire and the crimes of empire were not committed by the person of uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, first of all, the worst of them, though there were plenty bad ones afterwards, the worst of them were committed uh, long before she was born. She was born in 1926, after all. The entire Victorian period was a period of high crime against humanity carried out in the name of empire. And moreover, in that period, the Queen had far more power uh, than Queen Elizabeth ever had. Uh, the government made the decisions about the crimes that were committed in Malaya in the 1950s, in Kenya in the 1950s elsewhere in the empire, in Yemen, in the 1950s and 60s, not the Queen. As a matter of fact, when the Queen fought tooth and nail with Margaret Thatcher to suspend apartheid South Africa from the Commonwealth, it was the elected government that were defeated by the Queen, who insisted in deference to black African opinion that sanctions on South Africa must be supported uh, by the Commonwealth. So I don't mean to give you a civics lesson, but 
honestly, the queen doesn't get to decide the color of the wallpaper in the British Parliament, never mind the decisions of the British Parliament. Over to you. Um, I agree with you. I think that's why a nuanced um, conversation is very important. The anger towards the queen, I would argue, is not real. She is not really directed to her. It's directed to the empire, and she represents. She metaphorically represents the empire. So while the anger flows towards her, um, and particularly at a time, let's let's add this: at a time when the U.S. empire has pretty much taken the reins of the. Anglo-Saxon UK empire, and it is um, taking actions that severely negatively infect the, uh, you know, affect the people. So I think it's good to have this discussion. I'm glad we're 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 having it. I think it's unfortunate that the anger is is um, focused on her, but I think as we kind of nuance it and we can get people to 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 understand that you know a, a, an empire is run by a kind of conglomeration of oligarchs as opposed to uh, uh, the queen. Yeah, um, there is no doubt that the wealth that uh, the British Empire looted from around the world, uh, which included uh, black people in our own country, in your country, in, uh, in the Caribbean and so on, the wealth in people and in things that we looted from the empire, is still visible on the head of uh, King Charles. Uh, the big, beautiful diamond, the African star, was stolen from Africa, as the name suggests, and is valued at more than 500 million pounds, which is a lot of money to be carrying around on your head. Certainly. Um, so I, I think that um, I agree with you. And I think what's happening is that the people in the people in what's considered, you know, what's third world now we call developing nations are starting to um, I'll put it like this. A scab has been um, opened up. A scab has been unloosened and the, the, the bleeding is starting to come out. And I think it's going to also affect attitudes towards the um, the Ukraine um, military conflict also in that a lot of the countries, once again, in reminding and thinking back to what's happened to them from the colonial powers are going to be more likely to say, you know, we don't want another dose of this. Also, I think that um, one of the things that's coming out now that uh, as a result of this discussion is the contradiction between empire and democracy. You can have an empire with a monarchy. You can have an empire with a um, with a dictator of any type, because um, as a rule, empires do not act in the best interest of the constituents of the empire. They act in the best interest of a small group of um, of of um, of people. So as long as you have central control, very powerful central control in the empire, you're able to do that because it doesn't matter if the people push back. Now what we're seeing is an empire in the United States that wants to create the illusion of democracy in Western Europe and the illusion of de democracy in the United in the U.S., but yet still prosecute the um, the policies of an empire worldwide. And now that those policies are not, um, yeah, the policies are not um, really uh, act, uh, working to benefit the people in the in empire, they're starting to question, hey, is this a democracy? They're starting to try to believe that they can execute democratic principles. So now people are starting to say, well, wait a minute, okay, this is a democracy, so our leaders have to act on our behalf. Our leaders will act on our behalf. And they beseech their leaders for redress, hey, will you act on our behalf? And the leaders in 
Um, Europe are simply saying, no, we won't. We're, we're, we're not beholden to you. You don't understand. This was always the illusion of a democracy. The point I was just making, going back to the Queen Garland, uh, is that the Star of Africa, worth 500 million pounds, is on the front of the uh, King Charles's new crown. And on top of it is the Kohinoor diamond, uh, which is literally priceless, which, as the name suggests, was stolen from India, though they probably stole it from Persia, and so it uh, goes on. So it's no part of my case uh, that uh, the British Empire was not responsible for uh, looting and uh, mass murder and enslavement uh, for centuries. Uh, now that's your job in the United States, of course, rather than uh, ours, for the most part. One empire has passed seamlessly uh, to another. It's just important, as we've both agreed, uh, to attribute the blame uh, to the system and to the oligarchs, to the power cliques uh, that uh, made themselves royal and aristocratic in the first place, uh, after all. I remember the late and great Tony Benn used to say, how did the establishment become established? They, they killed each other and stole each other's lands and castles and wives and daughters. They engaged in wholesale looting, murder and rapine and then began to call themselves by titles. Uh, and before you knew it, they were princesses and queens. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing here. You have to understand the system and um, you have to attribute blame, blame properly where it is. I certainly understand. Let me give you an example. Joe Biden right now, you could look at the United States and say, well, look at these terrible things that the U.S. is doing and I'm not happy with it. And you could say, look what Biden's doing. But the reality is, you know, there are people who argue this is the second iteration of the, of the, um, the Obama um, administration, I say no, it's the fourth uh, iteration of the George W. Bush administration. So, you know, if um, Joe Biden disappeared into an alternative universe tomorrow, you know, and, and Donald Trump took over, I don't know that anyone could change the direction of this system. And here's the evidence. The Queen of England um, has passed away. The system's not going to change. It's not going to suddenly become better or worse or anything. She was there and, and she was a, uh, a person who represented the system. But I'm not personally angry at her. I don't think if she'd never been born, these things wouldn't have happened or they would have been, you know, even worse or, uh, under under her leadership. So um, I think it is important to understand that and always understand your struggle is against the system, not any particular person who either represents the leadership of the system at, that, at a particular time or who actually leads the system at the time. And I don't think either the queen or Joe Biden lead these systems that they are um that they are representing at this time sitting atop of yeah speaking of uh, past presidents i see that uh, barack obama's portrait was uh, unveiled in the white house i don't know if it's the portrait of dorian gray whether it will turn really ugly as a result of all the ugly things that he did uh, but I take your point about the fourth iteration of the George W. Bush administration, but I, I sometimes think that Barack Obama is still running Joe Biden's administration. 
Well, you know, one interesting thing about the, uh, Obama is every time he shows up to the White House or any time he's near the White House, the whole system runs towards him and hugs him and, and, and you know, wants to see him in power. Um, and people start asking, is Obama going to um, somehow facilitate someone else into power? Joe Biden's weakness in this system is, is, is clear and obvious, his inability to really control the system. Um, and, you know, is, is there. So Barack Obama is still a major player. Let's not forget, Joe, uh, Joe Biden would not be in power without if, if, um, if Barack Obama hadn't taken the actions that he'd taken, made the phone calls that he made during the um, the during the uh, the 2020 election to um, manipulate the the. Um, the Democratic Party and ensure that the voters did not choose Joe Biden. So, you know, to an extent, um, uh, Joe Biden is Barack Obama's Frankenstein. He created that monster. And now, you know, I mean, he's still in control of the monster um, to some extent. But I guess we will see. Uh, you know, when we see Barack Obama come out and start saying things about maybe they should, um, you know, come to some kind of a diplomatic resolution in Ukraine, that's when it'll happen, in my opinion. And a lot of people are saying that. Yeah. Uh, and in the time left to us, and I'm very grateful to you for your time uh, this evening, uh, in the time left to us, uh, it's not looking good for Donald Trump, the jaws of a highly politicized legal system appear to be closing in on him. Can you give us an update on that? Sure. Uh, there is a discussion about Donald Trump being um, being uh, possibly indicted with a crime. And let's not keep let's keep this in mind. Two things. Number one, there's a long is there's a there's a big difference between in being indicted of, of a crime and being convicted of a crime. And if they indict Donald Trump and go after him and don't get a um, conviction, that's going there's going to be hell to pay. But let me uh, add this. We've seen the same thing that we've seen for the last five years. The uh, the Trump administration sued for a, um, a special magistrate to review all of the documents. And in that uh, lawsuit, in their complaint, they argued there would be leaks from the FBI. Well, they no, no sooner got it out than the FBI is leaking stuff all over the, um, leaking stuff all over the news. And we've now found that FBI agents literally commanded at the, at the top, the highest level, commanded lower um, people not to investigate the Hunter Biden um, uh, the Hunter Biden uh, uh, laptop. We now know that the FBI went to uh, Mark Zuckerberg and told him, we think that the Hunter Biden stuff might be Russian propaganda, but they knew it wasn't at that time because they had possession of the laptop. They went to Zuckerberg, deliberately lied to Mark Zuckerberg and influenced him to uh, not run this stuff based on something that they knew was false. So it's obvious that the FBI is has not changed since the days of uh, COINTELPRO Pro and Hoover. They're simply an organization that is out to, um, you know, to affect politics in America. I'm running out of time, but I'm fascinated by that nugget that you just produced there. Uh, it seems to me of the most immense importance that the American state silenced the entire U.S. media, including U.S.-owned social media platforms, on the Hunter Biden story by lying to them that they believed that it was Russian disinformation, that it was a Russian propaganda hoax campaign. 
when they knew that that was false. I, it seems to me it cannot get, in a democracy, it cannot get much more serious than that, Garland. You it can could get a say little worse. That was the beginning of the end. The yes. beginning of the end, you could say. Well, and what's even worse, when Donald Trump was being um, uh, was was being impeached for that very same incident, they had the hard drive. They knew that Donald Trump was innocent. They knew that he was implicating um, corruption with the Biden from the Bidens in Ukraine. They allowed Donald Trump to be impeached, but they had laptops. Uh, implicating the Bidens for uh, uh, corruption in Ukraine. So not only did they lie to the media when they knew otherwise, they held their the information that would have been the deciding factor for even beginning an impeachment. Donald Trump was never going to be convicted, but they had the evidence to know he should not have been impeached in the first place, and they held on to that. This is a very serious, and uh, it, it should say to Americans, we have to quest question the democratic principles here, and uh, it appears that they, there is a preemptive coup going on again for 2024. That's my interpretation of these events. Do you think they're going to get them, Garland? I think the idea is whether they get him or not, they're going to keep going after him, regardless of what happens. I think they feel like they'll just throw as much as they can and keep going after him. But I think as hard as it is to get a conviction on these things, that they're going to charge him with something of that, that's not going to hold. And I think they're not going to get a conviction. But who knows? We, you know, I, again, I'm just speculating. I don't want to be irresponsible. Garland Nixon, as always, but especially this evening. Thank you very much for joining us on the model of all talk shows. Let's go straight to the line, shall we? Because I want to hear the views of the Dominions, as we once insultingly called them, to Canada in particular, uh, to talk to Lance about the Royals. Go ahead, Lance. Oh, well, I have a question. Well, look, very two questions for you. One, one you, can, you don't have to answer them both, but they're talking about this huge withdrawal of Russia from Ukraine right now. Is that real? And second of all... No, I, it's already already reversed. It's uh, stupid, foolish propaganda that's going to look very silly in a day or so. Oh, okay. I, I, that's what I kind of figured. The other thing I was wondering is, in, in my mind, <clears throat> if Charles himself doesn't insist that his mother's name and or his mother's face and legacy stay on money the pound, um, or I guess the Canadian money also, then is that disrespectful of Charles, in your opinion? I, I don't personally agree no, with Charles I, or like Charles, I, but... No, um, no I, uh, I recall the uh, immortal words on BBC of the late and great Bob Crow, the Railway Workers' Union leader, who said, I don't care if the Queen's head is on the money or the Queen's arse. I just care how much of the money is going into the pay packets of the railway workers in Britain. And that's how I feel uh, about the money situation. I don't care whether it's Queen Elizabeth or King Charles that's on the money. Uh, what matters is that our people have got enough money to heat their homes and feed their children. And that is very much in question, Lance. But it is fascinating and will be to a large number in the audience that the Queen of England's face is on Canadian money all these centuries later after the uh, foundation of your country. Uh, do you still have her image on your post boxes and stamps and so on? 
in some of our older post office offices, the image is still up. And uh, growing up uh, in all of our classrooms, the image of the queen was up. But generally, as schools have been renovated or you know newer over the years, uh, that that piece of decor has gone. Um, but I'm, I do you think I uh, will there be a, a referendum? You think there'll be a referendum in Canada? There definitely will be in Australia. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. No. I don't think Canadians care enough. And I think Canada is such a blended citizenry now that we don't even, I don't even think we really look at it that way. It's a marker. It's a differentiator between you and the United States, isn't it? It's maybe, maybe going to be kept on the queen and the king are maybe going to be kept on just to show the United States that this is not their territory. No. Well, I, I did write our prime minister and ask him to put, uh, King George Galloway on, but he did. He said no. He declined. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lance. You didn't lance my bubble. Mike in South Carolina, Mike on the monarchy. Go ahead, Mike. Of course, you were talking about you know Canadian money, so but it's it's still a dollar, isn't it? Just like it is in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's funny that, that, that they're still called a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that aside, uh, I, I wanted to to uh, uh, elaborate a little bit on what uh, Garland was saying. And, and I've spoken with you about this before, and, and this is called the, the illusion of democracy. And, and when I spoke with you about it yeah. before, I told you that uh, uh, it can be summed up into one thing, and that is that the MIC, the uh, 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 military-industrial complex, morphed into the mimic of a democracy, which is the military-industrial media infotainment complex. And that's what it is. And and all we're seeing, I mean, we've got the death of the queen, the uh, uh, you know coronation of the new king, uh, 9-11 being rehashed for 20-something years ago, uh, and, and a whole bunch of other things that are happening uh, that are just inundating the news. And, and what this really is and what it does is it manufactures consent of the governed. That's why your football game can't be seen, and, and, and they're going to make sure you see this. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to make sure that, that that you that you you know pay proper deference to all of this that they think you should you should be paying attention to. That's important to them to maintain uh, uh, your consent of the governed, so that uh, uh, you will follow their policies basically uh, in lockstep. And, and they do it to us here. They do it to you there. They do it everywhere. And it's the few people that control all of this media that is now 
uh, uh, wrapped, uh, you know, uh, intertwined with uh, uh, the military-industrial complex that, that, you know, gets our consent for whatever they want to do, uh, whether it's Ukraine. Yeah, or, I mean, of all, the, of, 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 of all the millions, millions of words of brilliance uh, written by Noam Chomsky, if you force me to choose two of them, uh, it would be those two words, manufacturing consent. And I have been living, I now see, I didn't always see it as clearly as I see it now, that consent is being manufactured all the time. The enemy never sleeps. They are manufacturing consent over the accession of King Charles, the role that Britain and America are playing in the uh, war in Ukraine, uh, the manufacturing of consent to, uh, to all kinds of quackery and greenery and net zero and all these things, some of which you and I disagree on. But the decision is made somewhere uh, and consent is then manufactured uh, for it. Uh, and the only time I'm going to tell you may not be too close to this. The only time where it failed possibly in my lifetime, was the decision to leave the European Union and Britain, the Brexit victory uh, of, uh, of 2016. That was the one time that I can recall that the entire establishment worked tirelessly to manufacture consent for remaining in the European Union and they lost. And they never accepted the loss. And they have done everything they could to fight a rearguard action, to uh, somehow overturn it, or in one way or another, blunt or alter, distort it. But on everything else, they have successfully manufactured consent. Last word to you, Mike. And that and, and that uh, that failure of theirs to, to keep that going, I think, is is uh, was caused by the fact that they let people, ordinary people, make the decision. You know, for once, they let people make the decision yeah. rather than it coming yeah. from the top yeah. down. That's why I want referenda, more and more of them. Referendum, as I'm speaking English and not Latin, uh, I want referendums on everything important. In these electronic days, we can do it safely. If you can do bank transactions over the internet, you can vote in a referendum over the internet with obviously postal ballot and uh, ballots in person still being possible. That's why I'm demanding a referendum on the continuation of the monarchy. Thanks, Mike. Let's go to my good friend Arobos in New York on a similar kind of subject. Go ahead, Robert. Greetings and salutations, Mr. Galloway. And to you, sir. I know it's been a little while, uh, but my um, protocol remains the same. At this juncture, it's important for me to highlight you, your family, your loved ones, and all of your supporters to optimal health, long life, and safety in these dire times of monsters and heroes. Beautiful words. Thank you, sir. I must say, when my, when my power got cut off, I was waiting as to what was about to happen next. 
but by the grace of God, I'm still here. Yes, indeed. I wanted to share my perspective on nuance because uh, very recently, last Thursday, in fact, uh, the People's Party, I was invited to my very first podcast, and we had a discussion on there um, at the People's Podcast about nuance pertaining to patriotic socialism and the importance of the flag as well as the crimes committed in this in historical grievances context about the flag and as a and as a descendant of stolen and kidnapped africans from the caribbean you know i do have a lot of personal uh, and impersonal historical grievance however i do uh, understand that i'm living in the times of now and if we are to create a populist, a uh, economic populist party in terms of politics and get people interested, we have to cotton to the larger issues and attach the other ones that they may not care about or that's on the periphery or not in the highlight and attach those to the wagon also. And that's something I learned from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, may he rest in eternal peace, where he realized that Americans in general, white Americans, didn't care enough about black people or Negroes to support their struggle when it was called the black rights. So he incorporated women, he incorporated students, he incorporated religious leaders, he incorporated everyone to support civil rights because he recognized that it was not just, you know, uh, not just black people being under the boot, you know, even though we have the longest of grievances, is everyone was being crushed. And if there's no economic justice, there can never be social justice. So it's a, a, a nuanced discussion that should be, uh, that, that I was greatly highlighted on that last discussion by Garland. He actually came to uh, the People's Cup podcast the week before last and did an excellent job in explaining things. But I, I'm also of that view that we can still not, you know, we know history is not there to forget we are we manifestations of history. However, we also have to be concerned about living in the now, about being crushed by the parasite billionaires. Everyone needs health care. Everyone needs a living wage. Everyone needs their student loan debt forgiven. Everyone needs, you know, we, need, we all need these things. And if we in, if we in parochial, you know, patriarchal groups fighting just for our identity, we'll never arrive together. So we have great historical context, a lot of the work you've done and continue to do with the Workers' Party and Respect Party, etc. the work of Martin Luther King, the legacy of going back to the New Deal. Those are lessons that, that should be inculcated in us, and we, we modernize them and we synthesize them, whatever we have to do. So, you know, I just want to finish by saying that it's not about forgetting what happened to us or forgetting the past, but we're living in the now. And, and the, the oligarchy, the, the parasite class, as I call them, the billionaires, the trillionaires, they're all crushing all of us because they have class unity. They understand class analysis. It's us who have to get on board with that and push back and fight back. Otherwise, it's just going to get worse for us. Well, you've taken my breath away almost literally uh, with your eloquence and sagacity. I agreed with every syllable of every word that you so beautifully spoke. And that's not just the call of the evening. It's the call of many an evening. And may God bless you and yours and keep you thinking and acting in the way 
that you are. Angie is in Northern Ireland, who's a first-time caller and a woman caller, so she's right up top and wants to talk Ukraine. Go ahead, Angie. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, George. Um, Go ahead. Please. Nice to hear. Basically, what I was gonna, what I was gonna ask you to maybe comment on was an idea, basically, that I have, and it's that the configuration I could, as in who's in power, could never have been imagined maybe five years ago by ordinary people. Now, I'm a firm believer that nothing here has happened, even COVID, nothing has happened accidentally and also who the protagonists are, who the villains are. You know, it's all being played out on their noses. But what I find the most incredible thing is this. The West, as in the US and all the countries that the West take in, including Europe, Central Europe, they are at war, not with Ukraine, not with Russia, not with China, with their own citizens their own citizens and that's what it boils that's where this whole overarching picture takes you there's no way around it there's no doubt about it if there is could you point it out because i can't see there being well, anything uh, I, I i i can't yeah i can't do justice in a in a telephone call conversation with the great issues that you have raised uh again so powerfully and I'm glad to hear them come from Ireland because it is important that we all see past the end of our nose. I thought you were going to talk about the many local difficulties, problems, crises uh, in the Irish political scene. We've got uh, Varadkar, a, a Prime Minister, Atishak, about to take office when his party commands 18% in the public opinion polls. And he's about to be the Prime Minister of the Irish Republic. It is truly mind-boggling. But the issues you've raised are truly global ones. And there's no doubt in my mind that consent is being manufactured for uh, solutions and pathways that are driven by globalist agenda. On that, I'm in no doubt at all. I'm not a lover of conspiracy theories, and I had an encounter with two uh, gentlemen who, if they'll forgive me, I would describe as conspiracy theorists only yesterday on another television show that I present. But I've got to tell you, their conspiracy theories are beginning to come true. Their conspiracy theories are turning into conspiracy facts. And it may be that on some of the issues on which I doubted them, it was me that was wrong and not them. And that's something that we all have to take on board, Angie, that we have to hear all sides of the story because, as John Stuart Mill said, in defense of freedom of speech, we must hear the other point of view not least because it may be true or be in part true. So by stopping free speech, you're harming not the person you stopped, you're harming yourself first and foremost. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we've had a call from Mamadou in Senegal, but we can't ring him back. 
Our system won't let us call Senegal. Mamadou, please ring back in again. We'd like to get you on. He wants to talk about the Commonwealth. Somebody mentioned my show in Cork uh, the other day, uh, the other year, the other decade. Uh, I've got another show coming up now uh, in November, 7th, I think, of November, in Stockport, uh, just outside Manchester. Plenty of parking outside the Garrick Theatre. Six minutes walk from Stockport train station and all roads, all railway lines ultimately lead to Stockport. It is the perfect venue, actually, for people to travel from farther afield. So the details uh, are there. It's the mother of all roadshows. Gayatri is going to film some of the crowd and interview them. And we'll play them out on the uh, moats on subsequent editions. Uh, but I've got to warn you, there's less than 50 tickets left. It's a small theatre, 151 seats in total. So if you're planning on coming, I know it's a long way off and you would ordinarily leave it till nearer the time. But you might find that nearer the time, there are no seats left available. Sarah Louise Robertson is a distinguished royal correspondent. And tonight's show would not be complete without welcoming her back onto the mother of all talk shows. Sarah, thanks uh, for joining us. You'll have been busy this week and going to be busy again next week. It's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. You must be getting plenty of screen time, including yeah. this. Uh, I am indeed, George. Thank you so much. The... But I, I always make time for you. You do. And I'm very grateful to you for that. They say that nobody organises ceremonial like the British. That's How have true. we done so far? I think we've done absolutely marvellously. When you look at obviously that proclamation that we saw yesterday, I was blown away by that. We've obviously never witnessed that before in history. It's always been done behind closed doors. So for them to decide to let us view that and actually see what goes on behind the scenes it was incredible all those prime ministers you know all of that power in in one room and then obviously watching king charles having to go through the motions the language the pomp the ceremony you know having having those those soldiers out oh all of it all of it i just lapped it all up just absolutely loved it and could watch it again and again and again i thought it was fascinating and what an incredible experience for us to be able to witness history being made. It, it's, it blows my mind. And uh, of course it was unique, not just because it was televised for the first time, but mm. because the fragrant Penny Mordaunt uh, got to declare Charles King as uh, Lord President of the Council. She did it rather well, I thought. I thought she did as well, George. And what was interesting is, you know, she was given that job. She lost out being prime minister, didn't she? With with the leadership race, obviously, she lost out to Liz Truss. And Liz Truss must have thought, oh, let's we'll just give her that job. You know, what's that? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Penny is thrust into the spotlight with the world's eyes on her at that point with people saying, who's this lady? You know, so you've it's actually put her in the spotlight above, above Liz Truss, I thought. And I thought, hmm. That's going to be interesting how things progress between those two women, you know, in this in the positions that they both have, because suddenly 
Penny's position has become very important, hasn't it? So it'd be interesting to see how that power well, play as I said, Sarah, runs out. As I said, Sarah, it's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. And it blew some good for Penny Mordaunt. And Liz Truss must have been congratulating her uh, through gritted teeth because she's head and shoulders above Liz Truss in terms of uh, demeanor, in terms of uh, fluency and charisma and all the things that you might have thought the Conservatives would have uh, been grateful for but they chose Liz Truss instead. But let's not put you on the spot on that. Uh, what happens next? And for many of our viewers, Sarah, sorry to mm. tell you this, when will this all be over? Oh, I'm sorry, George. They're going to have to suffer it a little bit longer, I'm afraid. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> I'm loving it. Obviously, your viewers aren't. They hold very different opinions. I'm a staunch royalist, a staunch monarchist, so... And also love my history, British history especially. So this is incredible to be at the centre of, of, of all of this happening around us. But yes, it is going to go on until the day of the funeral. So next Monday, 19th of September, that's obviously when Queen, Queen Elizabeth II will be laid to rest. And after then, you know, things will sort of quiet down and there'll be less of this. And then other news will come back in, in onto the agenda again. But I'm afraid... You know, this is the biggest moment in history. We've lost uh, our head of state, the Queen, who served us for 70 years. I, I think she's given us 70 years of service. Therefore, I think we can give her a few more days of mourning. That's how I look at it. Yeah, although uh, many people are more concerned about uh, how they're themselves and their own families going to stay alive through this winter that is ahead of us. Uh, I thought you were about to say this will go on and on until the day of judgment, but you said until the day of the funeral, which is a week on Monday, for yes. which I thank the Lord. And you, Sarah Louise Robertson, I'm sorry, because of the hour, we must proceed across the Atlantic to the man that in a sane America would be sitting in the White House now. Professor Richard Wolff is the smartest man in America, and we are very lucky that he regularly appears here on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Professor Wolff, thank you for joining us. I wanted to uh, ask you this question, which I genuinely don't know the answer to. Uh, the economy in Europe is literally plummeting uh, to the floor and beyond. But the economy in the United States does not seem to be. The pound and the euro are plummeting. The dollar does not seem to be. Why this dichotomy? Well, there are two ways of answering this. One way would be for me to explain that the United States economy is a very well-developed game in which a great deal of effort, especially among my colleagues, economists, is devoted to making something look a lot better than it is. Let me say, just on a personal level, I was born in the United States. I've lived and worked here all my life. I have never seen the economic system here 
uh, in the kind of trouble it is in now. I have never seen the kind of divisions in this country that we have today, nor the bitterness and rage. Uh, the conversations turn on civil war here more and more. Uh, it seems as though whole parts of the country are determined to live literally on a different planet from where the rest of us do. And it, it gets worse. You know, I'm, I'm reminded that for 30 or 40 years now, every leading official, uh, the first one that comes to my mind is our Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, gives a speech every few months about how we have to be careful that the level of inequality in our society, which is greater than that in Europe by quite a bit, that that is a problem we must face. Every leading politician has said it, and no politician, none of them, including uh, Janet Yellen, has done anything uh, to even slow the, the growing inequality. The inflation in the United States currently at about eight and a half, nine percent that's double the rate of increase in wages, which means, unless you don't know arithmetic, that the gap between employers who get the inflation of the prices they set and employees who have to pay those inflated prices without getting comparable wages, that gap is getting worse still than it was before. That's the first part of the answer. Second part of the answer, when an economic system like Western private capitalism, Europe, Japan, the United States, and so on. When a system like that begins to crumble, and when there are risks in moving your wealth uh, away from that area where you've kept it for a century, where are you going to put it? It's too early to give it to the Chinese. You're not so sure about where that's going and nobody else is really in a position to attract you, so you put it with the dollar. If you're German or British or Japanese, you buy dollar securities uh, because at least in the short run, it's not as dangerous as doing uh, what you might have done, <coughs> excuse me, before because of the very conditions you began with the deteriorations in Europe. But I think that's all that's going on. And my guess is you're gonna see in the United States very similar uh, downturns in standards of living. We are hearing here about people who have not got the money this uh, winter to be warm. We are beginning to hear proposals like those in Europe of literally bribing the people to look the other way by giving them cash or some sort of uh, modest subsidy, anything to keep the game going. But there's a sense of desperation here that don't let the, the, uh, the public relations fool you. We are in very, very deep trouble and no one has a clue how to get out of it. I don't think they've fooled me, but you certainly have set the record straight uh, tonally uh, on this question. I suppose what I mean is you have an inflation rate of eight and a half percent. We have one of 15 percent and the Bank of England itself expects that to rise to 22.5, which you might as well say 
is 25, and our workers too are being offered wage increases of 3%, meaning, if you, uh, to use your immortal phrase, unless you don't know arithmetic, a very substantial reduction in your standard of life. And if you dare to go on strike, as the railway workers and the postal workers have now done, you are excoriated as a wrecker, as a Putin's uh, agent. Uh, you have uh, record gas prices, but your gas prices would be a dream for us because our gas prices have to be seen to be believed. Uh, I suppose what I'm saying is there's a perception in Europe that we are being sacrificed by the United States, which is ready to fight to the last drop of uh, each Euro Ukrainian, but is ready to fight to the last uh, European economy also. That's absolutely true. There is, I mean, to be honest and blunt, most Americans, and I've made this effort in my classroom and in the, here in New York City where I live, uh, most Americans could not tell you where Ukraine was, cannot find it on a map, haven't devoted one iota of thought to it, barely listen when our leaders uh, provide their thin rationales uh, for the war and all shake their heads at the humongous sums uh, being spent on sending weapons to Ukraine when there isn't enough money uh, to help people solve the most basic problems. One of the ways it is impacting here, and I, I don't know enough about your situation, but we have an out-of-control housing market. The capitalist system here in the United States is not only pricing food out of the reach of millions, but it is even more aggressively providing housing that is so expensive that people literally cannot. Our record book, for example, now indicates that more people in the ages of 15 to 30 years of age are living with their parents than at any time since the statistics of these sorts of things uh, were begun to be kept by the government. In, in other words, the particularities may differ, but yes, the United States is very, very determined uh, to fight to the last Ukrainian and to hope that more and more of the costs of it, political, economic, military, will be borne by the Europeans. There's, this has been an old American policy. It used to be that Europeans understood that for them, in some ways, the risk might exist that the Russians and the Americans come to an agreement uh, by splitting the difference, namely, who gets what part of Europe. Uh, that No one should imagine that the United States is in any way uh, shy of having things uh, work out like that. It, it, it is a remarkable quality here. It comes from a hundred years of being able to think that the, the empire that will end all other empires is this one, the American one, that it outmaneuvered the British who had the last empire. And when you say to them, yeah, but all the signs look like China's coming up to be the next one, they look at you blankly as if, as if the thought had never crossed their mind even though as you tick through the signs, they get more and more depressed looking because you're confronting them with material they don't want to see.
Now, you're the Oracle professor. Help us in these closing uh, minutes. Schultz in Germany it has launched a 65 billion euro package to mitigate the uh, super crisis on the energy front. Not to be outdone, uh, Britain, which is a poorer country than Germany, has announced a package of 130 billion pounds to mitigate that same crisis. Where does that money come from? They used to tell us there's no magic money tree. It turns out there's a whole forest of magic <laughs> money trees, doesn't it? Yeah, let me, let me respond. I recently saw a number, I believe it came from uh, uh, Christine Lagarde, but for one of the top officials in Europe. And this person had sat down and added up the 65 billion that Schulz in Germany has promised, uh, the, the number you just quoted from, uh, from the United Kingdom, and she added them all up from Europe, and it came uh, to $500 billion have been promised. Okay, I'm an economist. I asked a simple question. What is the GDP, the gross domestic product of Ukraine? What's the value of the goods and services they produce? How big an economy are they? The answer given is $156 billion. In other words, you could triple the economy of Ukraine for the amount of money that is being spent to uh, do whatever it is those weapons are doing in Ukraine, which is not so easy to tell. This is crazy. If you had offered everybody in Ukraine a tripling of their income, which you could have done for that amount of money, we would have been where we are today, minus the bloodshed, minus the wasted money on, on killing each other that we have gone through. The magic money tree is simply a claim on the future. It is a political trick in which the people in power know that it is exciting to spend money. Companies love to have money spent on them. Individuals like to have money spent on them. Politicians will be popular if they spend money and don't tax it. So they said, fine, we won't tax it. We will borrow it. And we will then take the, the, the treasury securities when we borrow money and ask you to cash them in with the central bank for money, which is what they do. And in that way, the money is increased. Everybody is happy and we spend. The only fly in the ointment is that this money has to be paid back. All kinds of businesses and individuals particularly wealthy ones, make all kinds of economic decisions based on the enormous government debt that they now hold. If the government has to pay that money back at some point in the future, it won't be able to without taxing, which is the no-no they dare not do. And then all bets are off as we discover what happens when People who've borrowed a lot of money cannot pay it back. And if people have short memories, that's what happened in the second half of 2008 and 2009, when the global capitalist system crashed. Then it was because private 
entities had borrowed more money than they could ever pay back. And now it's the governments that are doing it. But the effect in the end will be very similar. I don't, I don't want to stereo. I know you're a New Yorker. I don't want to stereotype things. But this sounds remarkably like a Ponzi scheme to me. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely, you know, the game of a Ponzi hustler is to tell people, I can make you 30%. Give me your money. Then you take half of that money and give the 30% to the people you hustled earlier. That keeps the them happy. Your new guy is waiting. You have to find a new sucker to do it again. Meanwhile, half of each bit you put in your own pocket. Eventually, you'll get caught. But by that time, you've squirreled the money away and you do a few years in jail, if even that, and you've made more money that way than you ever could have in legitimate business. The problem is that capitalism is a system that always has created the incentives and then seems surprised when the incentive has the result of incentivizing people to play the game. You know, you're not willing to change the system. You're going to suffer the hustles that often come with a system set up like that. You're a genius. Professor Richard Wolf. thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Now, there are so many super chats. I can't get through them all. Uh, Roger Asai gives $100. Roger, I take my hat off to you. Golden Silence, $5, says the UK empire looted everything the Italian empire built in Eritrea, including the world's largest telefreak gondola cable car that was 720 kilometers long. I never knew that. Asif Ashraf uh, gives £4.49. Great show, great debate, great work from Garland. And Tommy Putra gives 50,000 Indonesian rupiah and is praying, as we all are, for Gonzalo Lira's safety. His last time online was five hours ago. And let me give a big shout out to the Celtic Supporters Club in Jogjakarta in Indonesia, and which I'm a proud member from this evening. I'm going to be doing my best to build relations between the Jogjakarta Celtic Supporters Club in Indonesia and the wider diaspora of Tim Malloy's like me. Sven the Viking gives 20 Swedish krona. Another persuasive discourse, says Sven. Inspiring stuff. John Brooks gives £4.49. Now he finally has a job with Charles giving up taking the carrier bag stuffed full of cash from Arabian despots. This King Charles will embarrass you, infuriate you, and if he keeps taking plastic bags full of banknotes from the rummest of uh, Arabian Gulf uh, individuals, a real scandal might be just around the corner. Kublai Khan gives five pounds. The Church of England is Catholic, not Protestant. Charles is the head to secure the independence of the religion and the country from the Pope. Is that right, Kublai Khan? Yeah. Uh, the poll results, uh, let me uh, go to them, and then I have a message I want to read out to you. Uh, if that could be scrolled down, Gayatri, so I can read it, uh, because uh, a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people have voted. I want the poll, the poll please, yeah. Uh, so the coverage of the royals, has it been over the top or just right? 
On Twitter, 66 to 34 think it's over the top. On YouTube, 77 to 23 think it's over the top. And on Telegram, 81 to 19 think it's over the top. Now, I wanted to read you this if I can find it whilst you are watching me. Uh, uh, it's from Gordon Sutherland. It's such a beautiful letter that I received. Dear George, I apologize for randomly messaging you. I felt that I had to tell you that many years ago, I was in a fairly dark place, working at night on weekends, driving alone with my thoughts. I randomly was bored of what I was listening to, so I changed station on the radio, and you were on. I'd heard of you at that point, but knew very little. But the 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. mother of all talk shows captivated me. I was intrigued. I laughed. And sometimes I cried listening to you and your many, many guests. But when you finished, I looked forward to the following night or the next weekend, and I was never left disappointed. I'm not sure what it was about the show. Maybe it was all of it. Maybe I enjoyed the company. But I made sure that the longest driving part of my shift was 10 till 1 every Saturday and Sunday, and I barely missed a show. It goes on, but time is against me. And I was greatly touched, and it was a feeling of in a sense, nostalgia and a little bit of euphoria, that this mother of all talk shows now in its nth iteration. It's been on talk sport, talk radio, WBAI radio in New York, based in Wall Street, and now here as you watch it and listen to it now. In this iteration, this show has the power to illuminate to shine a powerful light, as Professor Richard Wolff just did, on matters of economics and politics, to shine a light on the shadows that are deliberately cast in order to obscure our view from the thieves and killers that rule us and the wars and depredations into which they lead us. This show is the antidote to the mainstream media. And that's why I'm so proud of it. It's been going now for the best part of 20 years. And as long as I have breath, I'll keep bringing it to you. Power cuts or people climbing through the window to cut my cables will not stop us. It is the mother of all talk shows. And it will be twice a week from the 12th of October, God willing. But on Wednesday, in lieu of a midweek moat, you've got the Galloway Show solely on YouTube. It's modest, although its reach of nearly three quarters of a million people last week is far from that. Anyway, Modesty is my middle name. God rest the former Queen, Elizabeth II. But don't dare ask me to swear allegiance to her heir and successor. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. 
And if you enjoyed the show, come back next week at the same time next week. And bring another viewer with you. Why don't you? Have a good night. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.